Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to the Talking Texas podcast. I'm your host, Hudson Standish. On this show, we're going to break down the Texas win over UTSA, the 34-3 run after an early deficit, and then we're going to give a little bit of an in-depth breakdown of the Texas Tech Red Raiders as You know, the Horns travel to Lubbock for potentially the last time in a little bit. And uh, it's certainly the last time as a Big 12 school, more than likely. And, you know, take on Joe McGuire and the Texas Tech Red Raiders. My uh, co-pilot for this podcast is Mike Roach. And Mike, if I'm correct, I think you have a little bit of a statement you want to give off the top of the show. Yeah, there's... uh... You know, no, no easy way to say this. We made a bet last week and uh, I lost. And I was the, the core of the bet was that I was not quite sold on Texas handling um, success, uh, somewhat success against Alabama. Um, well, and I was worried about them going into that game. And uh, we made a spread bet. And um you know, I came up in, on the bad end of it. There's a million ways I could, I think, go about doing this, but I, I pose to you um, the scene from Bill uh, from Happy Gilmore last week, where uh, where Happy apologizes to Chubbs, and I think that the, these are the best words for it. I'm stupid. You're smart. I was wrong. You were right. You're yes. the best. I'm the worst. Thanks. Very good looking. I'm not attractive. Man, um, I appreciate that, Mike. I can't wait to clip that. That's gonna be a that's gonna be a real self-esteem boost for me when I clip that and just save it to my videos. Yeah, you know, it's uh it was funny because when <laughs> after tech, after uh not tech, sorry, I'm, I'm queuing up tech to have on the TV in front of me so I can kind of have me spinning stuff as we're going here. But uh, as UTSA went up 17 to 7. Was that yep. I sent that to you. It was like, I'm just going to need you to memorize this and get it ready for next week. Um, and then it ended up turning around on me. But, you know, really to like to to put it into the goofing and, and seriously, I, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it more in the show. I, I do. You know, I was very pleased with how they responded to adversity. And um, I think that the crux of our bet was that I'm just not quite sold that this team can, can go out and do that in a, in a game like this where they've struggled the past and they did it. So, uh, you know, kudos to them. Absolutely. And I think you're right too, that once we got to that moment of the game, even I was just to the point where I was like, well, it looks like 
you know, this team is just not ready for this level of consistency and, you know, huge credit to them. Not only uh, I've seen a lot of people mention that like the break in halftime was the uh, big moment for Texas, but in the second quarter, being able to rally and just tie the game heading into halftime, I think was as big as, as their performance once they got out of um, once they got out of the half. Once they tied it, I was like, okay, they're going to win this game. But I still was – I thought the spread – listen, I think I kind of had the game nailed. I had it 31 to 20. The only thing I didn't factor in was the pick six. And, I mean, we are, you know, really that pick six away from it being, you know, 34, 20, which would have which would have still covered the spread or, or even 31, 20. So, um, it was there. I uh, – I, I didn't end up winning, and like I said, that's a it's a zero sum game. But um, it, it, it first half it, it played out like I thought it might. Yeah, and again, all credit to Steve Sarkeesian for being able to rally the troops like that in game. And I, I kind of made a tweet about it, but I think it just does go to show that a lot of the stuff that a lot of the stuff that we've talked about with this team and sources feeling like the overall uh, locker room culture so much better. I think they kind of showed out on the field. Yeah. And to, you know, I thought if, if UTSA was going to make some noise, it was going to be in the first half. I mean, that was going to be their chance. They had to jump out early. They're going to, they were going to have to do everything. And I, I don't know if I said it last week on the podcast, but I totally expected trick plays like the double pass for a touchdown. I totally expected an onside kick. In fact, One of my early takeaways was Texas looked so unprepared for that onside kick. And like I was sitting there screaming like, oh, here comes the onside kick. But I knew at some point there was going to be a surprise onside. Yeah. The way that they were lining up, I have had two back-to-back games where I've had takes that I really should have put out on the timeline because the first time that UTSA went out to kick, it was just like, why are we backing up as soon as they're approaching the tee? That's just ripe onside kick territory. And, you know, again, UTSA executed and that trick play double combo was pretty nasty. So again, credit to them for really battling back. Um, Overall game takeaways before we dive in a little bit more, Frank Harris was as good as advertised sometimes, I think one of the complaints from fans is that almost too much credit is given to other schools' top players, right? To where you use a map um, in your car. Why not use a map? Sorry, that was an odd one for me. I just had a random ad uh, come up, but almost too much credit is given to other players uh, when we're previewing games, and you make a solid G five player look like they're, um, you know, Kyler Murray or something. But I thought that Frank Harris really was as dynamic as we kind of previewed. Frank Harris was a problem. Like, there were so many times that, again, I I want to praise the Texas defensive line for putting pressure on them. And I, I know UTSA was a little outmanned with already coming into the game with small line injuries and then suffered more during that game. But there were a lot of times where there were guys there in the backfield and he just escaped and then would make a throw. It's not like he escaped and then threw it away. I mean, there were several times he escaped and then would throw for a first down. I think that was, you know, he was what we thought he was going to be. I, I think I was thinking about this after the game. If you look at what Brendan Brady did on the ground against Texas, it's like, okay, he averaged like 3.2 yards of carry. 
but it seemed like he was finding tough yardage at the right times. Like he would find four on third and three. Um, and, you know, we didn't, in, in the first quarter, at least, I thought that UTSA won the physicality game up front. And I was a little worried. It was kind of like, okay, this is what I'm worried about is can you get these interior defensive linemen to play like they did against Alabama every week? And they certainly weren't in the first quarter. But, you know, Frank Harris was, I thought, you know, really good. They were just, I thought UTSA gave it everything they had. They were a very well-coached team. Um, I thought they gave it a great effort. They just ran out of ammo you know, at some point. Yeah. And then almost the flip side too, of just Texas's depth um, was just able to physically wear them out. The started breaking longer runs. I thought if I was giving like helmet stickers for the game, uh, one, I think you have to give each to Rashawn Johnson and Bijan Robinson because Bijan didn't really start the game off hot, and uh, Rashawn was kind of the guy early that was making the Texas offense move. But as they started to wear down on that UTSA front, it just was a matter of time, and you ended up with a, I believe, nearly 300-yard rushing performance um, from the Texas offense. And, yeah, I, I mean – I haven't seen it talked about a lot in the postgame, but the one-handed catch Rashawn had out of the backfield where it was just like – he caught it and kind of spun in rhythm and was just almost crazy. effortlessly. Yeah. I was just, I was, I mean, just blown away by it. He, he tends to come up with those performances. It feels like when they most need it. And, you know, he kind of, I thought laid a lot of groundwork for Bijan to go off later in the game. Absolutely. And Rashawn finished with 14 touches for over a hundred yards. And obviously Bijan Robinson with the, uh, biggest play of the game, Lar- largest rushing carry of his career with a 78-yarder uh, that took him to 183 yards and three touchdowns. Kind of the performance that you want your potential Heisman contending back to have in a game against, yes, it's a G5 school, but, I mean, we kind of mentioned it. It's a similar type of G5 school to that A&M kind of saw against Appalachian State to where, yeah, it's a home game. Yeah, it's against a, you know, G5 school, but it's a tricky opponent that's going to look to win the, you know, possession battle, uh, limit the amount of times your offense is on the field and kind of dictate the physicality. And I thought Texas passed the test. Yeah, I mean, they obviously they they kind of weathered, they had to weather the storm in the first part of that game and, and really put themselves in position to get back into it. And I, I thought you know, offensively, they kind of figured out what they wanted. I think we saw a little bit about like identity wise, what this team is going to be with Hudson Card at quarterback in that game where it's, Hey, it's not, we're not going to ask him to make the throws that Quinn Ewers can make, but we, we are going to ask him to make some throws. Um, and then we're going to lean on these studs we have in the backfield. And uh, you know, I thought between, between those, those rushing performances. And I think Jordan Whittington has kind of carried this receiving core really kind of underperformed so far. And and we'll get into it because I brought up a point to you and I wrote about it on Sunday, but I, I, I'm no worries about Xavier worthy. I think he's going to be fine, but I think at some point he's got to start coming up with a couple of those tough catches in the end zone. It was one of those things to where when we were talking about the take in general, it's, you know, you have to give him credit because 
he does have a massive uh, fight through contact catch with the face mask mm-hmm. against Alabama that he pulls in. But there have been a decent number of ones that you want your star, you know, potential Bolitnikoff level wide receiver to haul down. And I don't know. I do think that probably some stability at quarterback would help him in those type of uh, in those type of catches, hopefully. But yeah, no, I think you're right too that. I almost feel bad for Jordan Whittington in the same sense to where I don't, I, I mentioned it in my Monday huddle article, but I think that he's been overperforming what his stat line is uh, over the course of the, you know, first 25% of the season. I, I think he's been really good. Is it evident to you, by the way, that when Hudson, when Quinn Ewers has been in the game, they throw the ball quite a bit to Javion Sanders. And when yeah. Hudson cards in the game, he gets almost no usage. I wonder what that's about. Or it it has to be designed that way. Yeah. Like, I, like I Quinn will find him in the progressions, and uh, card will um, card. It kind of has to be a design. Yeah, he just hasn't he hasn't had the impact since card has taken over the job. That said, thought, thought Hudson played a a clean game. You know, good enough to win, obviously, and. There were times, I mean, he had that big scramble up the middle. Um, That's my play of the game for him. Yeah, and and uh, every time he, he did that, he would come up a little gimpy, you know, but f- again, fought through it, it was gritty. I think for him, like a play like that reminds us, because I think a lot of times we talk about Hudson now as this guy that's like, well, it was, you know, as long as he doesn't screw it up, but it's like, hey, he was a pretty dynamic athlete in high school um, and can, and I think if he had a healthy leg, we would see a little more of that. I think it would be a, a kind of a bonus to this offense, even though I, I know Sark's not huge on running the quarterback, but yeah, I, I, I thought, thought it was really impressive what he showed off with his legs and, and made some throws. Yeah, absolutely. I think, Honestly, if I was grading his game, I'm till like as I reflect on it, I I do think it's in a B, B plus territory because you start kind of hit it home too of just not turning the ball over, like not just, you know, and we mentioned the how good Frank Harris was and it is just one mistake and it's unfortunate for him, but being down four points and throwing a pick like. Hey, you know, it's a, it's a really bad uh, moment that completely flips the game and, you know, Hudson card was really clean and it'll be interesting to see all quarterbacks are practicing now. Um, I know that there's been some, I've reported optimism about Quinn Ewers' recovery in general, but there's been some talk that he might even play against tech, which isn't exactly what I'm hearing. Um, but you know, obviously it's a different test if Hudson card gets the nod on Saturday on the road in Lubbock than it is at home, even, uh, though we do respect that UTSA program. I know going back to Bijan real quick, I think I read that it was like his second best rushing like game performance. It wouldn't surprise me. I just feel like, didn't he go crazy against like Kansas state and Colorado at the end of that season? Uh, at the end of Tom Herman's last season, I thought he went close to 190 or 200 those games. I can't remember off the top of my head. I do remember the Kansas State game pretty vividly where uh, um, Deuce Vaughn and uh, Bijan just kind of took back-to-back. Uh, you know, they just were dueling banjos almost in that game. So, but, yeah, I've got it here. 
uh, it, he didn't have the yardage against Kansas State. It was just impressive that he ran for 172 yards on nine carries. Oh, yeah, that's uh, what it was. And then against Colorado, he went 10 for 183. Um, so that I don't even remember them playing Colorado. That was the bowl game that year. Oh, that's right. That's right. Where that's right. <laughs> yeah. But he went for 183, so that would have matched the Colorado game. Gotcha. Okay. Um, yeah, and you know, uh, I thought that Sark had a pretty funny. Uh, do you remember the name of the um, journalist that had the kind of infamous question last year that was kind of long and rambly? No, but I remember the question. Okay. Well, he had a question that was like, "Yeah, you know, Bijan Robinson hit all the way up to 19 miles an hour on that touchdown run. How? Like, what are some other intimidating?" stats that y'all might have, which I I do enjoy. uh, I can't remember his name, but I do enjoy his presence. He brings something a little funky to the press room that I I kind of personally enjoy. But Sark was kind of laughing and being like, listen, I was kind of, I was needling Bichon saying that you only hitting 19 isn't uh, your level. And I guess my takeaway from that comment is like Bichon Robinson putting on uh, the team on his shoulders a little bit with Roshan uh, in that game when he clearly does not look a hundred percent, like he he's still performing at a great level, but I don't think that he is fully. Um, I don't think he's fully all there. And while nobody is four weeks into a football season, I just want to give him credit for battling through probably some shoulder and other aches and pains to get the job done. Yeah, Absolutely defensively I thought they were you know it this was the worst tackling first half yeah we've seen this year it was just bad tackling I mean whether it was Brendan Brady or the uh I can't remember the oversized tight uh, Cardenas the oversized yeah Cardenas was really good Oscar I believe yeah they just couldn't tackle anybody and that was a big problem they were getting to the ball and I think that those are positive signs for this defense is they've been really sound this year they haven't been out of position a ton but obviously you can't miss the tackles. They did turn it around in the second half, only allowing three points. But um, <clears throat> that was the big takeaway for me defensively. And I also thought it was the best game. I, uh, I'm trying to scan back over his career, but certainly one of the best Deshaun Jameson's played in Austin. Yeah, and I, I thought that was another from the Sark press conference where Deshaun Jameson got beat pretty badly on a uh, – combo in the defensive backfield where they fake the screen he's supposed to carry with the person down the sideline he misses it and Sark apparently benched him for about four plays talked with him about just hey you know I know that you're not full go but we really need you and he responded with a really great performance and um, that was really encouraging I thought Jalen Ford was fantastic overall too you know, PK does not want explosive plays. So a lot of time they're in a pretty conservative-ish too high safety look. And I think that they made the switch in the second half to playing a lot more cover three or cover one, where you have a single high safety, you're spinning down one of the others and just making it tougher to hit those dink and dunk passes down the field, which was what was really killing them and allowing UTSA to go on 15, 16. I believe they even had a 20 play drive. I mean, they took damn near a quarter off of, off of the clock in one, in one drive. And that was, 
that was the, th- the thing that I saw, like, this is their, their path is just keep the ball away from Texas. And, and it sounds like, okay, well, that's probably easier said than done, but I mean, they did it pretty effectively to start the game. Exactly. So um, any other things from this game? The only other thing I kind of want to mention, I'm starting to grow a little bit of a concern for this interior of the offensive line, just staying consistent, like mashing people in the run game. I thought that there were a couple of reps from Hayden Connor, who I really like, and Jake Majors and uh, Cole Hudson early to where I was just kind of um, a little bit underwhelmed against a feisty, but um not necessarily that intimidating UTSA defensive front. Although I should say that all five offensive linemen in pass protection were as good as they've been like that, that the pass pro is such a major um, key for this team. Such a big improvement. Yeah. I, um, yeah, I, I, there's a couple of things I'd like to talk about. Um, I mean, Texas, most notably Texas will be without DeMarvian Overshown uh, next week because of, the I, we people go on Twitter every week and are like, that's the worst targeting call. It's legitimately, I think, the worst targeting call I've ever seen in my life. The fact that it got upheld by the NCAA, just talk about just proving that you're kind of a joke. Like, doesn't that I, feel like, hey, we don't we don't want to be the ones responsible for this? Like, that they made the call. We're just gonna stick with the call. I just got such a visual of just some, you know bureaucrat just stamping a piece of paper like oh whatever the ref said i, I don't care to look at the tape yeah, like I mean, it was uh, like it's a thing of i legitimately don't know what else he could have done on that play other than sidestep the quarterback and just take himself out of the play yeah and again when frank harris is killing you all game with his dual threat ability i love the idea that you're already a you're already trying to keep your hands high so he doesn't make a play over you. So your body's in one type of way. You're trying to close on him quickly so he can't scramble out of the pocket. And you're also supposed to, I guess, find a way in a split second to lower your head a full foot, considering that you're the taller player. Like it's just by the way, he's also changing his body, and his body is is moving, and it's a moving target, and he's almost coming up to meet you at that point. Like, it's it's completely unavoidable. And, like, you know, I could even get to the point of – and I guess we're establishing a trend on this podcast where I'm, like, the uh, – I'm the referee appeaser. Um, I could get to a point where it's like, okay, well, fine. Fine. We're gonna give you the path. We're gonna give you the penalty on it. But like, look at the intent, and tell me that he intended to make forceful contact to the head by lowering. Even, even the referees almost ex- looked like they were like, yeah, we don't really think the intent is there. But like by the letter of the rule, this is the rule, and I think that's the problem. And maybe you introduce a lot of subjectiveness by letting them determine intent. But I think it almost has to be. Especially if you're going to penalize a guy and make him miss a half um, of the next game or or miss the rest of that game, you really have to look at it like, what is the intent here? Exactly. And I think that a lot of Texas fans would agree that the more frustrating part is that he's going to miss a half of football against, you know, a a conference opponent on the road. And DeMarvin Overshone really is one of the team's leaders. So, in general, that is already the thing that's the most frustrating. But even just end the game, that's a third down stop when you, when Texas is up oh, 11. Yeah. That, that turns into 
uh, in the fourth quarter, giving UTSA another chance to potentially make it a one score game. Like it's also in the moment, such a bad call, even though I know a lot of our um, analysis is going to be that we're focusing on to the Texas tech game. Yeah. Um, Mike, we're going to take a quick break and hear from those sponsors that we love so, so much. And then we'll be back to talk about the Texas versus Texas Tech matchup. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And we're back on the Talking Texas podcast. Appreciate the words from our sponsors. Mike, overall, when you were doing your game prep for the Texas Tech matchup, what was the number one thing that was, I guess you took away? Or what's the one number one thing that I guess is on your mind leading into the matchup in Lubbock? Um, first, it's, it's always tough in Lubbock. I mean, it's always a, a tough game to play. I do like that it's 2.30. I think 2.30 oh, yeah. is the best time to play in Lubbock. You don't want the night game, obviously. and You don't want the 11 a.m. We may be sleepwalking through the first half game. So uh, there's something there. I think this offense is dynamic and explosive and can be great. But, man, I'm, I'm just – I'm rewatching like, the condensed game against uh, North Carolina State last week. Donovan Smith has a lot of tools and he can hurt you with his arm and his legs. He puts the ball in jeopardy quite a bit. Yeah. Great um, way to put it. There's going to be a lot of opportunity for, for turnovers. And I think, and um, that was like their biggest, that was my biggest takeaway offensively. There's a couple guys I I covered and was close with and really like on that team, Jaron Bradley and Miles Price and um, you know, uh, uh, Caleb Rogers, all guys that, I'm a big fan of personally. Um, I do think that that they've got the weapons to win. I think the guy that worries me most is uh, I always mess up. It's Tyree Wilson, right? Not Tyree Johnson. Yeah, Tyree Wilson. Uh, Tyree, Tyree Wilson. Wilson. Edge. He's that looks like an NFL player to me. Um, and I think he he was extremely good in this NC State game. Um, he typically, I think, lines up on the on the left side of the defensive line, so he's going to be matched up against Christian Jones, who's done a tremendous job this year in pass pro. Uh, but he's the guy that I would circle to be very worried about uh, on their defensive side. We introduced a new segment on the state of recruiting. If you haven't listened, it was a Hudson special called uh, Poking the Bear, which unfortunately might have put Mike and I's friendship in jeopardy. So not exactly sure whether that I think it's great content, but uh, terrible for our friendship to pull from a Darren Ravel iconic tweet. Uh, Mike, I have another segment for the state of recruiting. 
Okay. Is I it, mean, sorry for talking Texas. Uh, okay. They, I mean, the bit is that they're exactly the same show, just different names. Um, here's Hudson's wild stat of the night. Did you know that Texas hasn't lost in Lubbock since the Crabtree play? Oh, for sure. I did know that. Um, but that blew my mind. I still think I can remember. Uh, sure, they haven't lost, but I think the last three times they've they've went there, um, it's it's like come down to the wire. It's been an you over- have the overtime. You have the overtime silly play where Sir Roderick Thompson scores instead of going down. They really should have lost that game. That was a sixty three fifty six one. You have the little Jordan Humphrey uh, catch that wins them the game late. You have uh, Deontay Foreman's shoeless Joe Jackson uh, performance. So you're, uh, you are right that it very much like you're absolutely correct in the analysis that Lubbock is a tough place to play, but I didn't realize that it's been that long since a Texas tech win. Yeah. Cause I think they've won. I want to say two times in that series since the Crabtree game, but both of those were in Austin. I believe so. I, I the Jakeem yes. Grant, uh, game uh, where Jakeem Grant faked the – I think they faked the snap or faked a kneel down and just handed it off to Jakeem Grant. That game comes to mind. I think that was Pat Mahomes. I want to say it was Pat Mahomes last year. And then uh, there was another game where, where Tech got the win. But, um, yeah, I, I it's it, Texas has, has largely come out on the winning end. But, you know, it is a it is a it's a raucous place. It's a sellout. I think they said it's their first sellout in like years. It's their first sellout since I think 2018, which was kind of stunning. Um, and was that the was that like the Baker Mayfield game? Was that the last uh, the OU Ooh. Tech game? Was that the last sellout there? That makes sense. That man, that that kind of is crazy. Because yeah. I don't know, Texas Tech fans have a reputation for being, you know, and I think largely are pretty decent as far as supporting their school, but not having a sellout since 2018 is pretty wild. Yeah. So, I mean, it is, it is tough. I was, it's funny enough, I went to that um, Deontay Foreman game I was covering the team at the time, and he went crazy that day. And I think he broke Earl's record of consecutive 100 yard games in that game. Um, but, that I, I have a video somewhere. The last play was Pat Mahomes throwing it to the end zone and Chris Boyd intercepting it. So it, it came down to the wire. Yeah, that um, is true. Uh, yeah, I, I, I think I think at this point, you know, it's tech is a little bit of a mystery to me this year. You know, they beat a they beat a Houston team that was like <laughs> the Houston team that should probably be so in three. Yeah, it's like I, Houston had a lot of a lot of um, hype coming into the season, but they, they really haven't played up to it. Um, I think that um, that NC State team was tough, and that was a tough road test for them, but, you know, they, they played pretty poorly, turned the ball over a ton. Agreed. Uh, um, I, I really don't know what they are at this point. I don't think they know what they are. And, and a lot of that has to do, I think, with Tyler Schott going down and it being a Donovan Smith-led team. Uh, but you don't you, the, the dangerous thing about these kinds of games with these kind of teams is you don't know what to expect, what you're going to get. For I mean, sure. If, if it clicks, if it's one of those games where it just clicks for Donovan Smith, he certainly has all of the tools to make Agreed. the plays and hurt you. And if you're not familiar with Donovan Smith, if you're listening, this is a six foot five QB that does have a little bit of uh, dual threat ability to both 
improvise, get out of the pocket and make uh, plays down the field, but also pick up, uh, you know, first downs with his legs. He has a really strong arm to the point to where he, even if he does remain consistent, inconsistent as a collegiate passer, he'll probably get a look at the next level just because his arm talent is that serious. And he made a couple throws against NC State where he wasn't very good, to be clear, um, that just kind of showcased, okay, this guy can go from the right hash to the left, far left sideline pretty easily. So it, it'll be an interesting test. Um, as far as Texas Tech goes, they've been giving up a decent amount of sacks, but largely I thought their pass protection was pretty good. I think that it's a little bit deceiving, um, just the sack numbers, considering that, again, Donovan Smith has been inconsistent and kind of runs into some um, – tackles for loss and sacks himself. The interior of the offensive line was where I was a little bit disappointed with tech. They just didn't really seem to be able to get much of a push against um, NC state. And again, again, Houston, they were better, but that's a Houston team that I'm not exactly uh, thinking as highly of as a lot of our colleagues. Um, you, you know, know so. you brought up the interior line thing this week in the huddle and watching that NC state game again, a lot of their, a lot of their pressure was interior pressures. Um, that got to them. So that makes me think it kind of fits Texas because they do have those bigger bodies on the interior. And now it feels like the the two things PK has gone to quite a bit in his bag is that almost delayed interior blitz or the the corner nickel blitz that's, yeah. that's off the side. So I do think they they might be able to exploit that, you know, if they and I'm sure they've seen it on film. That's a great point on with whether it's the uh, nickel or the corner. If you're in the boundary, there's always a shot for that guy to really trigger and get into the backfield. And I want to say, I don't think that Frank Harris saw it and forced the interception, but um, I, I don't know. I think that there's maybe a chance that he could have felt Ryan Watts um, really coming on strong and almost making that play that, gave Jade Barron maybe a easier pick six than anticipated. Like I thought that was really timed well. And um, I don't know, part of me kind of saw the Texas defense back to a more base and vanilla game plan. So I'm wondering once we get into conference play, if PK is going to be dialing it up a little bit more on a consistent basis and not playing as much just base pure um, quarters or you know, match cover, whatever, whatever the normal uh, game plan kind of looked to be uh, against UTSA. Um, one more thing I wanted to mention. Texas Tech, I do think that while we don't know um, exactly what this team is this year, I do think that it's a better program than I was expecting. And, you know, a, a hat tip needs to be given to Joey McGuire for getting him up to speed as quickly as he has, especially on the defensive side with Tim DeRuyter. I thought – I think they're actually pretty good on defense. Yeah, I – watching them against NC State, I thought they gave up some big plays. There, There is an opportunity for big plays um, if you find some gaps, but they do play pretty sound. They've got some guys. I mean, we talked about Tyree Wilson. I think they've got some guys in the secondary that can, that can match up. Um, and, you know, Texas is not shown under Hudson Card the ability to really – fire the deep ball and challenge challenge teams vertically. So um, I do think this is another game where you've got to lean heavily on the, the talented rotation of backs you have. And I 
I would like to see when we talked about a little earlier, I would like to see Jatavian Sanders get a little more involved because I think he could be a potential difference maker in this one. Yeah. And that's a great point to mention the stable of backs because two of the touchdowns, one came out of a go-go set and the other was a pure wildcat um, formation where uh, Bijan Robinson partially gets a easier uh, pathway to the end zone up the middle because two guys are overlapping, trying to cover the quarterback with Sean Johnson. So I do agree that if it's going to be Hudson card, which right now we think it is by the time this gets released on Friday, who knows? But um, right now, if that's the case, I would like more of those packages. Um, Tyree Wilson's probably the easiest a lot. Every time we go into the game, um, into a game, there's a lot of talk on the board. Okay. Who's the guy on Texas tech that you'd take on this team right now? Um, who's the guy on UTSA you'd take on the team, this team right now? Uh, I think Tyree is probably the easiest answer on the schedule because he very clearly is just the NFL guy on this tech squad. Yeah. A former A&M player transferred to tech, I, I think two years ago. Um, he's a guy that I thought flashed at tech. He's a, he's West Rusk. Is he a West Rusk guy? Yes. Yeah, he was, I mean, really just one of those guys you find in high school. It's like, okay, big body, can move, got some length. Like, if he could turn into something, he could be pretty interesting. And he has certainly turned into something. Um, I, I do like both their backers as well, uh, especially Cozy Eldridge. I think he's a, he's a guy that, that caught my eye in a couple of the games I watched. Um, and then the, the safety they've got, uh, Dadrian Taylor Dimerson. Uh, oh, he was great. Was a guy that last year I thought was, was really good for them and, and really kind of one of the bright spots um, on, their, on their team. Those are the guys I would look for uh, defensively. Offensively, you know, I think a couple of their skill guys, it, it's, they've got a wide receiver group that can kind of hang with a lot of others in the conference. When you look at Miles Price and Jared Bradley and Logan Fund, yeah. they've got length, they've got speed. Uh, they've got a little bit of everything in those in those elements. It feels like um, it feels like such a regimented group of your top three receivers as well. Where uh, Jaron Bra- uh, Jaron is just a very clear X, big body guy, but he has some uh, fluidity to him. Loic is, I think, the highest ceiling of the trio, but probably number three right now when it comes to production. And then Miles Price, I think, is probably the best player on offense, and I think is going to give Texas the biggest test. One of the true slot demon type receivers that just his elusiveness and and just quickness is going to give uh, Jalen Gilbo and Jade Bear and um, at Nickel a little bit of a problem on Saturday. One more player. Did you did Malik Dunlap, number 24, the corner stand out to you at all? He's like six foot three, maybe even six foot four. He made a couple plays against NC State where I was like, okay, this is going to be a very interesting challenge. Yeah, he's certainly got the size. Um, I, I think he's a little bit – I watched the NC State game and the Houston game. He's a little bit inconsistent. Um, Very much. But when he can – you know, when he does make those plays, it's funny. I've got – as we're talking about this, I've got, like, picture the picture slideshow on my TV going up of all my pictures in the camera roll and a picture of Miles Price in high school just popped up on my TV. So – uh, maybe that maybe the TV's been listening to us, but um, hell yes, yeah. No, I, I think that yeah, he's certainly a guy that looks intriguing as hell. Um, it's just can he consistently play? 
And at that, at that size, is he going to be able to turn and run with some of the guys? Exactly. I think it's one of those situations where maybe it goes one or the other way, to, but I could also see in-game where he gets an interception on a contested catch that's floated up there where normally it's a 5'11 corner um, or, you know, he gets a pass breakup. But also you could – if you're Xavier – Worthy, you also considering the uh, difference in physique, have a chance to mix up, uh, mix up this guy, and you know have an ankle breaking type of uh, highlight out there. Yeah, I I think you know it's a lot like the UTSA game was. This is going to be this is everybody's Super Bowl is Texas and Joey McGuire, just like Jeff Trailer. I mean, there's a lot of similarities between the two. They are very close friends. I think he's going to get the guys ready to play, knowing that this is a could be a huge statement win in his first year in Lubbock. Um, and then, you know, the thing we haven't talked about is you've got a legitimate wizard on the other side calling plays uh, in Zach Kitley, who is is you know regarded as one of the best young offensive minds in the game. He's he's really good um, at his time. I was following Kitley since his time at Houston Baptist. Now just announced today that they're uh, rebranding to Houston Christian, but then at Western Kentucky with uh, Bailey Zappi, he really is a great play caller. It's just, does he have the personnel this year to really run it up or go score for score with Sarkeesian and Pete Kukowski? But overall, I think that, if Texas Tech gives Joey time in the new Big 12, they're going to be a really interesting uh, program to follow. And their recruiting has probably been the best it's been since I don't know when. Yeah, because, I mean, if you consider the guys before Joey, <laughs> you know, Matt Wells, Cliff Kingsbury, and Tommy Tupperville, not exactly three best like, hey, we're, yeah. we're super into recruiting and we're lighting the trail on fire. Yeah, I have a, I have more respect for uh, Kingsbury than I think most people. But um, recruiting was, you know, he had a couple of good signee, signees and evals, but that was he he wasn't a Joey McGuire level recruiter. Um, I don't know how much longer you want to go on Texas Tech before maybe talking about what Texas can do against this team. One more question on the Red Raiders. I saw that McGuire in a press conference mentioned that he's going to be sticking with Donovan Smith. But as we know, uh, coaches are not always the most honest in their press conference and who blames them. If Baron Morton got into the game, how intrigued would you be to see what he could do? That was somebody that I think we were both really liked coming out of high school. He's very young, but was was competing with Shuck and Smith for the starting quarterback job over the offseason. Really talented, and I think long-term has a lot of great upside as what he could be for that program. I think, you know, if he is first really significant playing time being in that game, I think that his head would be could be spinning a little bit. But you never know. A lot of times those guys, my, my brother always says, it's like he's it's always the damn backups. You know, it's like you think you knock the starter out of the game, and that's a good thing. And then the backup comes in, and you know nothing about him, and he's playing on adrenaline and – uh, doing all those sorts of things. So, um, yeah, I'd be intrigued to see what he could do. Um, but, again, he did get in late in that NC State game and threw a pretty bad interception. So, I think <laughs> he's, he's prone to that as well. And, I, you know, I think that that's kind of their offense is they're going to take some chances and they are going to put the ball in jeopardy, hoping they can hit a big play. Great points, Mike. And also, 
On the backup quarterback note, that is such a good point. And also, I did see one Texas Tech fan that seemed to be already making excuses or that was the mindset they were in on Twitter. And they were like, well, if we had Tyler Shuck, like, you know, we're not playing with our starting quarterback. And it's like, against Texas, if Quinn Ewers doesn't play, you can't make that argument. And two, Tyler Shuck played a decent amount in the blowout against Texas last year. It was Henry Columbia that came in and really started yeah. to light Texas up late. That's, uh, is that... Where is I saw Henry Columbia playing the other day. Where's he at again? Is he really? I actually didn't. Uh, I figured that he would be on to selling insurance or whatever. No, he transferred to somewhere. Um, you're listening to live coverage of me looking this up. Marshall. Marshall, yes. I need so, to put respect on the buddy's name. And I believe uh, he was the starter against Notre Dame. Yeah. Uh, listen, hey, formal apology to Henry Columbia. Congrats on beating the Fighting Irish. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, as no, far, I, I think that's about all I've got on Tech. As far as what Texas can do to really target the matchups against Texas Tech, I think that a steady dose of Jordan Whittington and Jatavian Sanders early to then open up Xavier Worthy is exactly what's needed, regardless of who's a quarterback. Because I do think that while you want to take shots early, it feels like early in the games, what happens a lot of times is that defenses are – soft or hard bracketing Xavier Worthy and you end up having to take shots where it's not as wide open as you'd want. So peppering a decent amount of Jordan Whittington and uh, Jatavian Sanders in the short game and the quick game to open up those deep passing plays, even if Quinn Ewers it does end up somehow starting, which again, I want to reiterate, I do think it'll be Hudson Card. Um, I guess one more thing. It feels like they're starting to get a Jai Hall back into the – or not back, but in the rotation a little bit more. I was pretty impressed with his limited reps against UTSA, and I'd be really intrigued to see him rotate in and out with Casey Kane. Yeah, I think this is uh, – this feels like about the time that we can expect to see a Jai start making his way back onto the field. This feels to me like a – the, the game, and maybe it's because it was the game last year where he broke out, but this feels like Xavier Worthy's due to have one of his insane games if he's going to do it. Um, he, you know, I, it, it's hard to say breakout. I mean, he, he did go for 97 against Alabama uh, on five catches, but, you know, kind of pedestrian numbers based on his expectations coming into the season, what he's done. I, I think this is this is if he's going to do it, I think we could see a breakout this week and, and just, you know, him kind of going nuts on that team. Absolutely, Mike. Um, and again, it's just hard to imagine what his numbers would look like if you had a fully optimized Texas offense, not even just with potentially Quinn Ewers back, but if you had Isaiah Nay or at wide receiver two kind of offering a little bit of cover to where they can't play a lot of the coverages that they are playing this year. And I think that's why Ajay Hall's potential addition back into the contributors at the wide receiver room is such a big deal because I think we'd both agree that we're happy with what Casey Kane's done, right? But Ajay Hall just offers a deep threat that really stresses coverages in the way that Kane's more of a true possession receiver doesn't. Yeah, and Ajay Hall's got the combo package of can stretch you deep and then can also like physically outmatch your corner and go up and win a ball. Um, speed and size, strength, all those things. I mean, it's what made him an elite player out of high school in such an intriguing athletic package. So, uh, yeah, I, 
I am interested to see when he comes back, like how quickly they get him kind of immersed in the game. Can we just, I feel like we're, we need to do this every week until we um, get to, to the point where it doesn't happen anymore, but man, Kelvin Banks keeps passing every test put in front of him. And I know UTSA was not the toughest test, but it's like every week it's like, yeah, I just don't notice the guy that lines up against Kelvin Banks ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Mike, real quick, before we get on to Kelvin Banks top and wrap, wrap up uh, the podcast, let's take a quick break and hear from our sponsors once again. Hello, everyone. It's Michael Richards here. You might have seen me on CBS working on their Champions League coverage over the last couple of years. I wanted to tell you about an exciting new podcast that I've been working on. It's called The Rest is Football. It's me, alongside Gary Lineker and Alan Shearer, two absolute legends of the game. The show combines topical debate from the world of soccer along with outrageous tales from our careers. And I mean, outrageous. Just search... The rest is football wherever you get your podcasts. All the best from Big Meats. When you have sports mixed with your pop culture, along with humor and celebrity interviews, your earbuds are enjoying the Rich Eisen Show. Dan Orlovsky, are you still a Jaden Daniels is the best quarterback available in the draft guy? I think the three things that make it stand out for me are, number one, I think his ball placement versus man coverage is the best in the draft. Every quarterback in the NFL is accurate. He's got the best on tape. Number two, most transferable stuff to the NFL. And then I think the third thing is pocket peace. Search for the Rich Eisen Show on YouTube or wherever you listen. We love our sponsors, folks. Kelvin, you're absolutely right, though. Kelvin Banks, it's you don't notice him in game because he's not making mistakes. But then when you circle back on film or you look at a highlight and you're keying in on your true freshman uh, left tackle, he's just consistently winning reps. And I'm sure he and Kyle Flood would like him to be a little bit more dominant in the run game on a consistent basis. But when you're winning every single rep like he is, it's just so impressive. Yeah, and honestly, like, I'll, I'll almost trade the loss in the run game for what he's bringing in pass pro because Agreed. they're still getting their big runs off um, without it. And, you know, usually the, the biggest, toughest transition for a player like that to make is in pass pro, and he's just been so good. I think the run stuff will come, um, and, and I think it'll come with a couple of those younger players at some point. It's just a – at some point, it's a size and strength thing. It's It's – going a year one in a strength and conditioning program in college where you're facing guys who are three and four years in. And, and, you know, I think in year two, year three of Kelvin Banks, we'll see him really maximize his size and strength, but yeah, man, he's just been so damn impressive. And I just, I can't get over the, I like to call my own fouls. And while I've always been really high on Kelvin and, and, really, you know, thought he was an elite prospect. I was dubious about him starting and being up to speed to start at left tackle this year. He has uh, proven me wrong. On the strength and conditioning point too, it is such a good, uh, it's such a good thing to bring up. And also I think that what a better example than the fact that Christian Jones has just been mauling people on a consistent basis. This is somebody that had to play earlier than he probably should have. And I think, you know, he's been um, very open about the fact that, hey, I know I didn't have a good year last year. But also for somebody that is as new to football as he is, played in a triple option offense in high school. And that's something that every evaluator kind of considered about how this would be a longer developmental curve for him. 
for Christian to really be playing like a true NFL prospect, it just goes to show what you're talking about in that under, I guess, underscoring how freaky it is that Kelvin's playing at this level right away. And again, how, how good Kyle flood has been for this team. I think that there were a lot of people that said about Kyle, you know, it's easy to coach those guys to Alabama and what else has he really done? But, I mean, he's he's even the fact that they're just getting something out of Andre Carriage, even if it's as a blocking tight end and a guy that when Cole Hudson got hurt, they rotated him to the inside for a little bit. You know, in years past, it feels like a guy like Carriage would just get lost in the wash and never make an impact. And they figured out a way to make an impact. Um, By the way, I, I don't I can't remember if we discussed this on the podcast last week. Hudson and I do have a running offline joke about, um, you know, what if. Andre Carriage just asked for like the number six. Um, it's one of my favorite jokes of, of Andre Carriage just being like, listen, I'll play this blocking tight end role, but you're giving me 23. Yeah. I'm going to really stud with yeah, uh, like, I will be an uns- <laughs> Yeah, exactly. I will be an unselfish team player, but also Jade Barron's got to get off that number. And I think, I think we really need to see Andre in the next game come out with like the full forearm shivers, the bands, vapor elite gloves yes like go get geared up like you're going to go catch like 10 catches for 120 yeah honestly he 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 should watch oscar cardenas and be like coach hey look at what this guy's doing we're roughly the same weight on that same token do you think there's ever a chance they throw a pass to him uh, if so, I'm going to clip this so quickly and put it on the timeline. I mean, if some, I, I'm trying to think, Mike, he didn't do anything like that in high school, did he? Because I know that caused me, well, Sam caused me when he had the big man touchdown against West Virginia. I remember going back and uh, because of my familiarity with the Tascacita, I knew that he was kind of that athletic. I don't know about Andre. Andre's an athlete. I mean, he, he's always been an athletic guy. That was the, the appeal was the athletic package and just the, the length and everything. But yeah, I don't, he's never caught a pass to my knowledge. You're going to be Leonardo DiCaprio uh, pointing at the screen. If he ends up catching some sort of pass. Had I known, had I known that this was going to be the move for Andre, it would have been a specific thing. It would have easily been a specific thing. To Why not that, round nine? I don't think we cashed anything last week. I was going to mention that at the end of the show during our weekly specific things roundup. Again, if you aren't as familiar with the show, if this is your first time listening, I appreciate it. Uh, Mike appreciates it too, I'm sure. We did a podcast yeah. over the uh, summer where we drafted specific things like one that's already cashed this year, a broadcast package about Quinn Ewers' uh, unconventional timeline to Texas gets shown or one that nearly cashed in that Hudson card has a Shane Bouchelle chance mock type moment comes off the bench for a win that nearly cashed for me against Alabama. Uh, But Mike, nothing is hit. And really the next big opportunity is probably going to be the TCU game uh, as far as scheduled. Um, Um, There's a chance if game day shows up to Texas OU. Very good. Uh, I'll, I'll hit that one. I think there's a chance, oh, you just being such a big game, there's a chance we'll see some stuff. For sure. And there's chances the other ones could hit, but I'm, I was trying to look at scheduled one. I don't think I'm going to hit on my – they offer a 24 quarterback before the Red River shootout. That doesn't look like it's going to happen. Yeah, yeah. So um, we'll see. I, we've already cashed some of the interesting ones, so that's that's the thing. 
is uh, and like you said, the TCU game will give us a lot of opportunity for the pro Gary crowd. Nobody, nobody doing the Arch Manning broadcast package has really bummed me out because I thought that was just going to be such an easy one. And not mentioning it during the Alabama game really was a little bit of a bummer for my team. I think that you're comfortably in the lead um, for the for the specific things title. Yeah, but it's a long season, you know, Very so true. we'll see. Like I, I was comfortably in the lead for the spread bet last week, too. Uh, for a while so until I hit you with the uno reverse card yeah exactly um before we move on I guess or is there anything else you want to talk about for the game I guess before we move on oh you want to do predictions yeah let's do predictions and then I'd like to go over the big 12 the last week or just college football at large and then uh looking at the slate this week as well to see if you have any takeaways but yeah let's go previews um I have not written, full disclosure, I've not written my official prediction for the game yet and sent it in uh, for our staff predictions, which uh, I forgot about it. So I'm over the deadline. Um, but I'll, I'll get it in. So I guess this is where I'm going to formulate that um, that opinion. I Maybe it's because I lost the spread bet last weekend, and maybe it's because I, I'm, I'm feeling a little more confident about this team. Uh, the six seems pretty close, but I do understand that it's on the road. Um, I, I think it's actually moved to six and a half at this point. Um, man, I think, I think if I, I, I've got Texas winning, I'm going to say 33, 21. I like it. I like it. My prediction um, was Texas uh, 45, Texas Tech 28. Um, I do think that the Texas Tech defense is good, but it's more of just a amount of confidence I have in the Texas offense, even with a backup quarterback, if it ends up being Hudson Card. Yeah, I probably should factor more points just because I do think that they're going to have advantageous either field position or just defensive points based on how much Tech turns the ball over. Um, and and- even if they don't turn the ball over again, it's just, I don't necessarily think that tech is going to, especially at home, want to bleed the clock as much, which is going to lead to more possessions potentially. And I think that the higher possession game, I think the bigger the lead could get to be completely honest. Like I think that if you're playing Texas this year and you're not clearly the better team or an equal, you want to shrink the game as much as possible. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stick with 33-21. That's what I'll go with. Again, this might be one where I'm the idiot next week if Tech ends up uh, getting a road, uh, home dub against Texas for the first time since the Crabtree game. Um, Mike, what I guess what stands out to you on this week's slate for the uh, conference or just the college football season at large? Uh, yeah, it's, um, it's largely opening weekend in the conference, um, which I think is uh, – I want to say what Kansas and West Virginia played early in the year, so that's uh, yeah, that's technically a, a conference game. But uh, which Kansas team, probably should be one of our big takeaways. <laughs> boy, if you want to talk about the so far, uh, yeah, Kansas is a, is a big takeaway, which – it's I've been kind of playing into the bit of like, oh, yeah, 
now everybody's realizing Kansas is good. Texas fans have known this for years. <laughs> like, <Yeah. laughs> uh, welcome to the party, pal. Um, just looking around the Big 12, uh, I think Baylor, Iowa State's probably the most um, who are they game of, of the weekend. Like, we'll figure out, I think, a little bit about each team uh, based on that game. Um, nationally, Florida, Tennessee is probably the national game that has my attention. Um, I think that they are, uh, I would say that and, and, and in Arkansas, of course. Um, but I think Florida, Tennessee is a game of, I think Tennessee fans are feeling themselves a little bit. And this is a rivalry that Florida has largely dominated. Um, so the, that one sticks out to me uh, yeah. as a game I'll be keeping tabs on as well. It's tough for me because I, you, you know how much I like this Tennessee team and program in general um, under Hypel, but this is a pretty brutal spot because have you seen what the spread ended up being for this one or what it is now as of Wednesday night? Uh, I actually have it in front of me here. Uh, Tennessee is minus 10. 10. Yeah, minus 10, and depending on the book, 10, 10 and a half. Um, also, you mentioned the Baylor-Iowa State game. In the preseason, I kind of said how there's not a bigger discrepancy a discrepancy between what the media views a team versus – or, you know, the, the majority of the national media versus Vegas. Baylor opened up as a pick em on the road at Iowa State. An Iowa State team that, yes, while they're 3-0, um, you know, hasn't necessarily looked fantastic – and even though Baylor's ranked number 17 in the country, they are a three to three and a half point dog against Iowa State on the road, even after opening up as a pick em. And, um, you know, taking, I guess, my take from earlier in the season of Baylor's over or under being seven and a half, like it still feels like Vegas is just not sold on this Baylor team, even though a lot of the preseason buzz was Baylor's the Big 12 favorite, which. I think I was pretty clear about saying that Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas were all teams I viewed higher than them. Yeah, I just think it's a I, – I, I don't know what either team is, and I think we'll figure it out. The other one yeah. – so you and I were both kind of befuddled um, about the Kansas State preseason hype, and then they – Oh, yeah. Of course, got beat last week by Tulane. Um I did see like an interesting uh, note and I'm kind of digging for it on Twitter now and I can't find it off the top of my head. So I'm just going to try to paraphrase it. But basically the last two times Kansas state has upset Oklahoma, they've been coming off of like embarrassing G five losses. Oh yeah. The Arkansas state game. I kind of forgot about that. Yeah. So it's like, I don't, I don't, I would not pick Kansas no. State in this game, but it is, it, it is one of those. And, and those two games have nothing to do with this game. And I understand all of those things. Um, but, you know, Kansas State kind of does always give Oklahoma a test. And so, I, while I'm not, I'm not excited to pick them, I do think maybe we'll find out a tad about Oklahoma in this. If Oklahoma has been taking care of business against a bad schedule for the most part, yeah. Um, outside of the first half against Kent State. I think if they go out and just pound Kansas State, it's like, okay, Oklahoma's doing what they're supposed to do with this. Exactly. I, I think that's the best way to put it. Um, 
I was not, neither of us were buying the Nebraska uh, interim bump at all. Like, I think we both knew that Oklahoma would cover pretty easily in that game. And even though Nebraska got off to a little bit of a quick start, it all floundered pretty quickly. And even that's I a think bad football team, man, they're I, very bad at football. I mean, that's a bad football team. Yeah. And it's, it's one of those things, too, where it's like, when O'Shawn Mathis picked Nebraska, it was very clearly like an NIL play. And there yeah. were a lot of people at Texas who were like, hey, man, like long term, you're going to be here six weeks or six months. Like go where you've got the better NFL future and you're going to make more money long term. And that doesn't always work out if you're Texas, because there's a lot of times I say that about why would this player go there and they end up succeeding. But and this year, I think that's very clearly the case. Woof. Like yeah. talk about a with hindsight just looks like a brutal decision. Um, yeah, that's that one's tough. I, I agree with your analysis on the K State Oklahoma game a ton to where it is a tricky spot. And even though we have been very publicly uh, fading the K State hype, uh, you know, it's still a tricky enough spot to where I don't view this as a Nebraska level game to where I'm just shrugging after Oklahoma, you know, nearly 50 bombs them, right? Yeah. One other game, I want to kind of tee this up for you because I know you've been focusing a lot on it this week. TCU-SMU battle for the Iron Skillet. Um, I think you're kind of suspect on TCU. And not that SMU is the toughest test, but obviously a big rivalry game, one that has a lot of intrigue this year with Sonny Dykes having left SMU um, and playing Rhett Lashley, who worked under Sonny Dykes. Uh, you've been looking at the lines of this game and just going kind of crazy this week. What uh, Where are we at as of right now? Look, he, again, I do want to preface with, I am a pretty decent college football, football gambler. I think lifetime I'm above 50%, right around 55, which is a pretty good mark, right? But, you know, I don't want people to completely tell my picks because it does end up with a situation where it's added stress. I don't want to make people lose money, but I've been eyeing this game since TCU struggled early against a Colorado team we knew was pretty dang bad. Um, I was very low on TCU in the preseason. I do not think they're very good. Just being honest. I, I don't think that they're a very good team and I think they're a little bit overinflated right now um, in both the Vegas markets and just national uh, media attention, I guess. And they have an 11 o'clock game. Yeah, it's a road game, but not really. Like, it's not like, you know, apologies to SMU, who I'm going to eventually, you know, obviously pick in this little teed up segment. But it's not like uh, SMU Stadium is a real house of horrors or anything, but it's an early game. I'll say this. It will be – I'm sure it will be packed. It's going to be as packed as it will be because it always is for the skillet, but especially yeah. for the Sunny Dykes, like, revenge game. Yeah. It'll be as tough of an environment as SMU can be. Exactly, which, again, to be completely honest, I don't think is very tough. But like you said, it's not like it will be um, for their games against, you know, UNT or whatever. Sorry for the ricochet if you're listening to this game, which I know you're probably not. Um that being said, my analysis is just that I like this SMU team on the offensive side of the ball much better than I like TCU's offense. I don't think this is – I think TCU has some players on defense. I respect Gary Patterson's evals a lot, but it's not like it's not like this unit has really impressed because, you know, 
they limited a Colorado team that I don't think is good and gave up 17 to Tarleton in Tarleton's first ever game against a P5 school. So the only negative is that TCU is got a buy to prepare while SMU kind of had a road battle against a Maryland team that has some intriguing players. So I've been basically Mike, what Mike alluded to for this tee up is I've been just circling this game, wanting to make it my lock of the week leading up to this. And I'm just trying to wait and get as good of a price as I can on the SMU money line. It opened up as a pick. I anticipated that TCU would end up getting uh, points. Eventually they have, it's now two, two and a half as a favorite. I'm going to try to wait and see if I can get SMU plus three and a half and SMU money line, probably around like plus one thirty or so. Um, I will say this. I know you're not high on the TCU offense. And I think a lot of that has to do probably with what they have at quarterback. Their, their wide receiver core is if unlocked could be one of the better ones in the conference. Like Quentin Johnson's a freak saving, saving Williams, the guy we both really like. Yeah. Um, Jordan Hudson Hudson is capable of some special things. Tay Barber is a really good player. I think that they do have intriguing skill guys. I think our questions are just like what they have at quarterback and on the offensive line. Yeah, and and also just utilization. Like, I do think that Sonny is a really good offensive mind, but I don't know, man. It's uh, I just uh, like I cashed on a Quentin Johnston under Week One, and I probably am going to play that a lot because yes, he is such a highly like we think the world of him as a prospect, but. Again, I just don't – they're not utilized super well. And SMU is not a great defense, so I can end up looking like an idiot if TCU 50 uh, burgers them. But I don't know. That's just something that I've been looking at. And, you know, SMU might not be that good, to be completely honest, but this is a spot where I like them um, just against a TCU team that I don't really like a ton. Um, I guess the other game, is Duke Kansas actually worth talking about? Feels like the football hipster. game to be clear. I know that's a kind of hacky joke, but the football game. Yeah, it feels like the, the hipster game of the week. This is this is wild. I, I love it. Like I, I really like that. You know, Elko seems to be doing pretty well at Duke and Kansas. I mean, there's no. I mean, you can't really say anything. It's not like that they've had a just cupcake schedule they went at West Virginia at Houston and beat them both by double digits yeah I mean they've done look it's not like yeah West Virginia and Houston aren't the best but Kansas hasn't been either I mean that's Kansas has struggled to beat you know FCS teams um, in, in recent years so what they've done has been really impressive I, so uh, there was a, a couple coaches on the Kansas staff last year that I was close with. And talking to them, they really, you know, really like Lance Leipold. They, uh, these guys have since left the staff, um, but couldn't say enough about Lance Leipold, who um, feels like uh, happy for him, obviously, but feels like is getting a little bit of a – we're jumping the gun on like, hey, Nebraska, let's hire a guy that's like lifetime – you know, I don't know what his lifetime record is at Kansas, but like, what did they win last year? Two or three, and then um, I know one win they had. Yeah, so I mean, yeah, he's got like five career wins at Kansas, and and they're talking about him. <laughs> they're talking about him um, 
you know, possibly getting the Nebraska game. So, yeah, I mean, it's it, it feels kind of weird, but on the other hand, you know, he does have that kind of reputation. There's uh, there's a lot of people I've talked to who think like, yeah, that's a for real team. It's not this is not a flash in the pan type thing. Um, also, I do think that credit to first off, credit to Buffalo for of initially making the hire and taking him from Wisconsin Whitewater. I think that if I'm a G5 athletic director or maybe even a lower P5, maybe start giving more shots to those Division II, Division Three coaches that prove that they can run a program at a really competent level. Like, as long as they seem in the interview process to have enough um, flexibility and they're not, you know, the stubborn type that are going to try to run it the exact way – it's a pretty savvy hire for both Buffalo and then Kansas taking him from there. Like, I don't know. It's just, it's just really impressive stuff. And when you look at this Kansas schedule, like you want to talk about jumping the gun, I'm literally going to do a Fosbury flop over like an AK 47. I'm going to be jumping so many guns. Kansas could maybe start six and up. Okay. So they've got the three and out. They've got off, off my, off the top. So they have the three and out. They have this game against Duke at home. They're a seven and a half favorite. And, you know, that might even be a play for me, depending on if it gets above or below the magic seven number. They have Iowa State and then they have TCU. Iowa State's at home. I can't remember where the TCU game is. Like Iowa State and TCU are not teams that I'm looking at and necessarily thinking that they're just going to easily roll over anybody in conference. You know, this is a this is the week for me to remember tweets I saw and, and try to furiously look them up. Um, but I saw like a crazy Matt Campbell stat. Um, yeah, it, it was. Uh, man, I'll have to. We'll have to. Or we'll have to. Uh, oh, here we go. I'm Matt. Excited. Matt Campbell and Iowa State are nine and eight since the. Uh, no, I'm sorry, I'm reading an old one. All good. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to buffer here while I look for it. It was. Um, it, it was basically like any game they're in that's close. They are they they lose at a incredibly high rate. Like I think that it was like something of like. If the game's within five or six points in the fourth quarter, I think he's won like three out of fifteen. And that's even more brutal for a Texas fan, just remembering two pretty clear games where Texas loses a close one to Iowa State. Like, that's that's tough. Yeah, um, I will uh, – I'll uh, I'll keep vamping here. We'll, maybe we can go on. If I run across it, we'll come back to it. But Yeah, while you're scrolling, Mike, overall, has anything drastically changed for you in, your fir- in the first uh, three weeks of the season? I guess four if you want to count the early uh, – the early slate in the first few weeks of the season, has anything radically changed to where your outlook of the big 12? Um, no, I, I think it, it is kind of where we thought it would be as of now. Um, I think that Oklahoma has got to be kind of respected as the leader um, until they prove they're not. And I think that so far they've done nothing to, to prove they're not. Um but I do think, you know, this is, again, I thought this last year, um, it, it, is a, it is a very winnable conference. Um, I think that it's a conference that 
has a lot of flawed teams, a lot of question marks, and even like the returning big, like we're, we're to the point where the returning big 12 champ Baylor, like you mentioned it earlier, the, the, the gap between what Vegas thinks and what the public thinks is very big. And I think on this podcast, what you and I think about Baylor is probably a pretty big gap from the public. Bingo. Like if I, if I, had a better read or liked this Iowa State team more, this, this would have been a spot to where when it opened up as a pick, I probably would have thrown down a couple units on it just because, again, I, I don't really like this Baylor team. And I don't know, I'm starting to feel like it is a little bit of a tier early, albeit, to where Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, and Texas might be in that top group. And it'll be interesting to see who kind of pushes um, – for Big 12 title contention, whether it's a three-team race or whether, you know, maybe Oklahoma State, Oklahoma, or Texas aren't what they seem to be early. Okay, I found it. Um, so this comes from uh, Chris, uh, is it Felica? Faga? Yeah, Felica, the, the bear on yeah, game day. bear on game day. Under Matt Campbell, Iowa State has been involved in 17 games. So I had the premise wrong. It's not fourth quarter score. It's, ba- it's spread-based. It's 17 games in which the spread was within three and a half minus or plus. Iowa State is five and 12 in those 17 games. And that's since 2016, only four coaches have a worse winning percentage in close spread games. Man, that is, that is, again, that's why Bear is such a good follow. What a number. Yeah. So, and it uh, kind of makes sense too, unfortunately, where, I'm sure basically every Iowa, Iowa State game for the last three years has been in that total as well. And this was kind of the first year that they broke through and won a 10-7 stinker. Yeah, it's still, I mean, it, you know, game was in that, in that, and they came out on top. But yeah, it's, it's really surprising because I think that it is funny, like when you, you have a perception of somebody or a team and or the national media does. And it's just like, man, Matt Campbell, he knows how to get into those tough moments and win. And then a guy with the facts is like, actually he doesn't. <laughs> exactly. I, that's such a, that's such a good point. Um, anything else you want to have on the big 12 before I ask, I guess, one more question to emphasize a point and get us out of here. What do we make of Oklahoma state? I like them. I, I was higher on them preseason and, um, even though the Central Michigan result was a little bit weird, I, I don't know. I think that they're good. Yeah, I think it's going to play out. I think that I think your top four or five in this conference are Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, Texas, Baylor, and then I don't know. Could be Iowa State. Could be. I, I don't want to put Kansas in that tier because it does feel so reactionary. But at the same time, I also don't want to disrespect them i guess the thing for oklahoma state is all like there are two games against fbs competition in the central michigan one where they roll on offense but their defense can't get a stop and then they did beat arizona state 34 to 17 and i believe it was probably a little bit um a little bit close i mean a bigger gap than maybe the score reflects but also that arizona state team I mean, I'll let you say it. They're pretty dang bad. And they ended up firing Herm Edwards, who, you know, I think we knew preseason that, like, Herm Edwards was a guy that we were looking at as a potential coaching carousel early exit. We knew Scott Frost, but even Scott getting on the carousel as quickly as 
he did was a little bit surprising. We were looking at Georgia Tech, and um, I guess while I'm randomly talking about Arizona State, can we just briefly reflect on him uh, in his introductory press conference being like, oh, you're from uh, Devils something? We don't play with Devils around here, and everybody just looking around at the media room. (laughs) Coach. You know, it's funny because I, I, if you've ever spent time in a press room, you have those moments where a coach says something and everybody's eyes just dart around like, did everybody else? I have to, yeah. I have to imagine whoever was the publisher at Devil's Digest was just like, oh, no, I'm going to have two rough years or three rough years. Yeah, and, you know, I think he was a dead man walking anyways with, you know, them having to fire most of their staff for improper recruiting and all the stuff they did during COVID. I mean, it was – it got to be pretty bad, but uh, <laughs> is that the first coach we know of that's been fired on the field? There's been some debate of whether he actually was fired on the field. I don't know if you saw the clip. I think he very clearly was, and it probably is. I, if you were no, told no. on the field you're fired, he got the, like, hey, we need to meet tomorrow morning. We need to, no, like, and, oh, yeah, no, uh, Gene or whatever the AD's name is. Like, I'll, I'll get to you after I address the team. And it's like, uh, no. No, no, no. We need to meet right now. Like, yeah. and, and that's essentially getting fired on the field. Exactly. Agreed with you. Um, By the way, it'll be- while we're on the Arizona State thing, is it weird to you that everybody's like, hey, Kenny Dillingham should be the next Arizona State coach? Yeah, it smells very much of, again, I don't know what it could be, whether it's agent or whatever, but everybody seemingly coming to this conclusion is a little bit uh, suspect. And I think that we agree on a potential good name for Arizona State. If he's ready, it makes so much sense for Tom Herman with how much he liked to recruit Arizona, how good his connections would be in both California and Texas. And I think it's the level of job that would make a lot of sense to him. Um, it's I just always, whether always thought he would be a great back 12 coach. Yeah. So like, you know, that would, that if I was the Arizona state AD, that's who I would be looking at, but yeah, yeah I, was, I'm with you. I'm glad you brought that up. That's a little bit suspicious. It's not a. It's not the greatest job in the world, but if you're in Tempe, you, you've got – There's a pathway to win. You've got a lot of resources. I think it feels like you can do better than hiring the OC at Oregon, who has had a lot of question marks in his previous stops about how good his offenses really are. And so um, – I think I saw Herman's name. I saw somebody else's name that was kind of intriguing. Um, I don't know. That's kind of a fun, like we, I think we get bogged down a lot. in like, who's going to bring back Nebraska and who should get the Florida job. But it's like Arizona state's kind of fun to like dream on. Like, Ooh, that'd be, that'd be cool to see that guy at Arizona state. Yeah. It's a fun program to potentially think, especially because again, covering recruiting, I do think we just have a better, um, insight into what jobs really could be something like Arizona. It wouldn't surprise me if you get the right guy there, if Arizona state um, turns into like a top 20 kind of staple on the recruiting scene. Um, and in the new look pack 12, once exactly the Cali schools leave for the big 10, that's a, a team that could make a push to be the class of conference. That's a great point. Um, but yeah, and I guess just circling back to what we were talking about, that's the concern for if you're Oklahoma State that we we gave Oklahoma credit for beating the teams that we know they're really supposed to dominate, but Oklahoma State kind of hasn't done that, and it's hard to tell whether that is an indicator or just a 
sleepwalking through um, games. I, I I don't know. I know that preseason we, I think, disagreed a little bit about Spencer Sanders, or maybe it was more of just like a slight um, disagreement. And But I don't know. I thought he's been pretty good to open up the year, again, against not ideal competition. I've, I've always been a Spencer Sanders fan going back to high school, and I think – what we disagree, I, I don't think we disagreed. I think I just said, I'm like the guy that tries to hold out hope that Spencer Sanders is what I think he thought he was, but like gotcha. he, he's so up and down, it's hard to say that he is. Is there a team in the Big 12, other than Kansas, I guess, that maybe isn't one of the you know obvious candidates at the top that kind of scares you or kind of, kind of think you could make a push? That's the wild thing. I was going to mention with my kind of final question, what team or players scare you other than the top squads? There's really not like, it's not, it's not a very good year. And I think that's why the pressure is kind of on Steve Sarkeesian to, you know, go on the road, win these games, beat the teams you're supposed to. And then whatever happens against Oklahoma and Oklahoma state happens, but don't lose to a Kansas state team that we kind of agree was overhyped over. Like don't lose to a Baylor team that yes, they might have a number next to their name, but all of the predictive models and sharps seem to understand that this isn't a very good team. So I guess if you were to really make me pick anybody, it would probably be the winner of Iowa state and Kansas next weekend, I guess. Like, yeah, I mean, like if Iowa State beats if Iowa State beats Baylor and then beats Kansas and is five and zero, even though it might be ugly, I do think you have to put a little bit of respect on that. For sure, I think you know the the month of November could be very either very good to Texas or if we've misread this very bad when it's like you know it's Kansas State, TCU, Kansas, and Baylor. If it, if it gets to the point of like they are what we think they are, and Texas is rolling into this. They could, I mean, that could be a really strong finish to the season. Agreed. And I'd have to eat a ton of crow if TCU somehow ends up beating Texas. So ideally that won't happen. Yeah. Okay. I mean, hey, it's 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 been dicey the last couple of years or the last, you know, 10 years. So it is a different coach. And uh, I do think uh, it is funny because we talked about, um, you know, how much Gary got recognition for the Alabama game when maybe he wasn't as involved. I can imagine TCU week Gary being like, okay, just pulling up a chair and being like, okay, listen, I'm going to take a little more interest in this one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Also a uh, quick note in the first half when people were complaining on Twitter, I didn't see Gary getting a ton of the blame about the defense. No, he only gets the praise. Agreed. So that was kind of funny, but like you said, um, yeah, I bet he'll have the folding chair up watching film and with a pretty detailed breakdown for when that game happens. Um, I'm trying to think. That's about – oh, I did want to mention one thing, college football-wise. This was a potential specific thing that didn't get drafted but was an honorable mention. I believe I wrote it down and you mentioned it as one of your honorable mentions. This was the weekend that we circled for Cade Klubnik. Against uh, against Wake Forest team, that's probably one of the better on Clemson's schedule. This was the one that we circled for. Cl- uh, Cade Klubnik takes over the job from DJ Uyunglele. Yeah, where are we at with that currently? Because I haven't caught, I've covered, followed a lot of Clemson, but I know Cade's gotten in in a lot of games. I don't know if they're just straight splitting time or if it's just. A they're not of- splitting time, but they're not. Sp- 
splitting time, but the uh, groans from the fan base seem to be getting larger and larger. And this is at Wake Forest. Um, and, you know, really, when you look at it, Clemson's played a Georgia Tech team that they struggled with, with for way too long. They played Furman and didn't exactly light it up. And then against Louisiana Tech, who's not very good, and Missouri also thrashed, they won 48-20. to 20. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, I could see it. I could see it for sure. That's, that's just one of the more interesting ones. Um, you, I guess we might as well since we're going long anyway. What's your initial take off of A&M in Arkansas? I was very confident that A&M would beat Miami last week. It was still a very ugly game that I thought Miami – the Miami offensive staff might need to have some hard looks in the mirror. And Mario Cristobal in general, again, you kind of put me on that one over the offseason like, hey – I wouldn't be banking on this guy. And I, I feel I feel like you were absolutely on the money because he was just content to settle for field goals in that game. I think Mario Cristobal is an incredible offensive line coach. He's an incredible uh, recruiter. Talent accumulate, yeah. I mean, we'll, we'll stack an, an obscene amount of talent in South Florida in his time there. But I've always had questions about his ability as a game day coach. And I'm not going to say, well, I, I guess I shouldn't say always. There was a time where I thought, you know, Texas, if they move on from Herman, should do everything they can to get Mario Cristobal. And then when I started talking to people in the business and, like, looking deeper into it, I was like, yeah, yeah he is losing these games to, like, Utah that he shouldn't be losing and just getting run out of the building. Um, Justin so- Herbert's NFL career yeah. trajectory should just tell you everything that you want to know there. Yeah, I I was never the biggest Herbert fan, basically because of his college career. Because I was just like, well, I mean, what has he done in college that makes everybody think he's going to be great in the NFL? So uh, to waste a, a weapon like that, I, I think is a, is a is a big time question mark. I this one's tough because Arkansas usually gets the luxury of trying of kind of sneaking up on AM in this game. Um, and they're not going to get to this this week because they're ranked higher. And Arkansas was doing everything we like wanted Arkansas to do until last week. And then I'm like going, oh, no, what's what's going on, Sam Pittman? So I still think this is almost a it's weird because it's like it, when you say like throughout the records, it's not like it's this long historic rivalry, but it is a throughout the records game in, in yeah. recent years. And the one thing that I think. I think the AM defense is very good, and it's what allowed them to beat Miami with a very lackluster offensive performance. But the one thing I've seen from AM is that they can be run on. Um, it's and, wild, right? Yeah. Like, with the amount of defensive linemen they've added, it's wild that they can, but they can be run on. And Arkansas can run the ball. So I mean, the the college football Twitter whomping meme kind of originated from the fact that KJ Jefferson and that physical Arkansas offense was just kind of whomping people last year early. I would say this too to give. I, I know that obviously all A and M fans think that we just completely hate their school and don't give them credit, but like that A and M defensive back unit. Oh my oh, god, it's so good. It's so they, good. And, and to the point to where they lose players to targeting and guys like Bryce Anderson and, um, oh, there was another defensive back that kind of stepped up that I wanted to mention. 
that I'm playing. I thought Jalen Jones is not Jalen Jones was fantastic. That's another good one. He hadn't been a regular starter for them. I mean, he's rotated it out. He's well, one of my, you know, one of my favorite kids to, to and is a legit NFL dude. Like he's going to yeah. play in the league. And I, I thought he was, I thought he was awesome in that game. So yeah, their defensive, their backfield so good and their linebacking group's good. They've just had some issues with the interior line. I thought, I think that, App State kind of exposed a little bit, and I think that Arkansas can do some similar things. So, um, yeah, I don't, I don't know that I've got a pick. Uh, a pick. I, I lean a and I lean a and I don't know if you feel the same way, but also, I don't know if I'm being too reactionary to Arkansas just playing an absolute stinker at home against Missouri State, considering that. Again, while I am a um, analytics and analysis and scheme over spot game, that did set up for the for Arkansas last week as a major look ahead moment with Petrino coming into town and them seemingly focused on A and M the next week. Yeah, and I think that with with A and M. I, it was so we saw that win over Miami. You and I, I feel like, saw that win from my, over Miami coming from a mile away. Agreed. Uh, especially after that tumultuous week they had in College Station. I think that I don't really have a great read on this game, um, but I think they're in the category of like, man, their offense is so bad right now. It's hard to feel super confident about anything with them. And, and, I know that sometimes it's kind of turned into a meme of like all oh, the AM offense. It's but it really does feel like it's hey Devon, if you're not, if like we don't get a short field or Devon a chain doesn't go off, like we're gonna struggle to get first downs. And honestly, again, we 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 did a little bit of a victory lap, I think somewhat justifiably on the um AM versus Miami prediction, but we're also a couple of muffed punts going the opposite way from probably a Miami win. Yeah. Like each team left a punt and the, you know, the each, each recovery was on a and side. Yeah. And I think that Miami was a paper tiger and ever since the word. Yeah. Um, and they were, they were ranked, I think, right. Coming in, they were, like they were number 13 in the country. Yeah. <laughs> it was crazy to me. Um, oh, I, I don't awesome. know what they had proven to, to be able to do that, but it, it felt like a paper tiger type went out. It was a win they absolutely needed and credit to them for getting, but Miami was so bad on offense and to the fact that they were still in that game. Um, like to me, we talk about AM's offense. The only thing worse that I've seen than AM's offense is Miami's offense. I felt, I will say this. Uh, as I was kind of rewatching, I did feel a little bit bad for Tyler Van Dyke because he had a lot of throws that oh, hit receivers on the hands. And- it was so bad. It was it was like, you know, Tyler Van Dyke's a guy that's got a lot of NFL pub, and I'm just kind of yeah. watching him like, yeah, I don't see it. Other than the fact that he's big and toolsy and all those sorts of things. But, like, at the same point, I can't put a lot on him. I mean, there were a lot of times where he was just standing in there about to get drilled and would throw one right on the money and you get dropped. And how frustrating must that be? Like, again, I remember from my playing days and obviously not any sort of a close to big of a moment, but, you know, having one drop and just being so frustrated with the fact that I put that ball on the money and it's just a wasted opportunity. And it felt, it felt like Van Dyke had four or five of those, of those moments on third and fourth downs. I mean, the game ends basically on a 
first down completion that's dropped. Yeah. So it's uh, it was certainly uh, certainly frustrating, I'm sure, for, for him and for Miami fans. Fun, fun open to the college football season. I, I know that it we had a very fun um, week two and week three kind of didn't love uh, live up to that. But overall, like I know that I love college football in general. It's my favorite thing to talk about. So I'm going to be more positive than maybe a true neutral. But I don't know, Mike, I'm, I'm pretty pumped that the season is kind of in full swing. Yeah, conference play now, especially too, I think it's, uh, will make it certainly more interesting and um, make it to a point where uh, we see a lot more of these storylines. We're out. I think we're getting out of the, you know, this power team is playing an FCS team area of the year and, and we'll see some, some fun stuff week in and week out. Absolutely. Mike, I think that'll do it for the Talking Texas podcast. I appreciate you, as always, for coming on. Thanks to everybody for listening to our UTSA recap and Texas Tech preview. We'll have more content on Horns 24-7. If you could, just leave us a five-star review either on Spotify or on Apple Podcast. It does help us out a lot. And, um, you know, we'll try to do some fun things in the future to incorporating maybe a mailbag into uh, five-star reviews and I don't know. I appreciate all the listeners a ton for the feedback and the interaction with the show, specifically the specific things draft. And for Mike Roach, I'm Hudson Standish and signing off. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation.